0: Of Two Sportscores, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kalvik and Lester Munson.
1: He is America's premier sports legal analyst. His name is Lester Munson. How you doing, everybody? I'm Chet Kopic. Welcome once again to Sports Court. Sports Court brought to you by our good friend John Coyne and the wonderful people at American Taxi, Chicago's premier suburban taxi service for comfort, reliability, and the fair price. You always make it a point to ride with American Taxi. Uh, Lester, how can I put this in its most simplistic form? Uh, Freddie Wilpon, owner of the New York Mets, given his relationship with uh, Uh, Bernie Madoff. I'm kind of curious. Why isn't Wilpon himself in the joint?
0: Wilpon uh, clearly was so involved with Madoff, he had to have known what was going on. He, Wilpon, was taking money out of the Madoff operation. He took at least $400 million from Madoff in false, phony, fraudulent profits, both for his baseball team, the Mets, and for himself. The only reason he's not yet charged with a crime is it is such an enormous mess. It's almost too big to prosecute. If the United States attorney in New York decided he wanted to investigate Wilpon, he would have to set aside four people for three years. They have other cases to work on. Could Wilpon be charged with a crime? Yes, absolutely. He had 465 accounts with Madoff. The Mets had another 16 accounts with Madoff. They're in Madoff right up to their necks.
1: Let me ask you this. Could uh, Bud Selig use uh, his powers as commissioner to uh, protect the integrity of baseball by... uh, uh, looking for some type of uh, exile or ban of uh, Fred Wilpon?
0: He could easily do that. He could suspend him. Not only does he have the best interest of baseball clause, he has another piece of authority, and that is that when a team falls too far into debt, mm-hmm. he can then intervene and he can say, we're going to take over, we're taking the team from you, and we're going to put it up for sale. And right now, Wilpon is already $500 million in debt, If he loses the Madoff case, which he will, it's another several hundred billion dollars. So Sealy could intervene based on the fact that the Mets are no longer a viable financial business. Which
1: leads us to uh, a rather engaging man by the name of Donald Trump. In your wildest dreams, can you imagine Major League Baseball accepting Donald Trump as an owner?
0: I don't think so. Uh, You and I, Chet, know what a fine... Affable, friendly guy Bud Selig is. He will talk to anybody. Donald Trump is one of the two or three people in the world he would not talk to. If Trump walked into the room, Selig would get up and leave. He wouldn't try to sell him a car. He's certainly not going to try to sell him a baseball team.
1: So from the perspective of Major League Baseball, it's always important to have viable franchises in New York. Are the Mets right now in a position where they're virtually hamstrung because of what's going on with Wilpon?
0: They are. They cannot spend any money. If somebody came along, if Cliff Lee were suddenly available again, they couldn't make him an offer of $5 million. The The ownership is unstable. It's deep in debt. Their only hope is to bring in a partner who would join them and put in some money in return for basically nothing. The, the real way out for Wilpon is to sell the entire team. If he could sell The Mets for six or seven hundred million dollars. That would be probably two thirds of their value. If he could sell it at a distress sale for that price, he should take that deal and run.
1: My friend, uh, for years I've uh, uh, raged, as have many people, about uh, uh, college athletes, in particular football players and basketball players, not being paid. We have something that falls. uh, in a roundabout way in that category, and that is the so-called intellectual property that uh, college athletes have, which is their name, their, their likeness, their uh, promotability, which leads us to uh, a bona fide basketball legend, Oscar Robertson. I'll let you pick up the story from there.
0: Oscar Robertson, as we know, is one of the greatest college players of all time, even now his image as a college player at University of Cincinnati is being used in trading cards. It's being used in NCAA advertising. We all remember him playing then. It was a different kind of uniform. They had Mm -hmm. the short shorts. He was wearing, I think, number 12 instead of the 14. 14. 14.
1: Or it may have been 12.
0: I think he might have. But whatever number he was, there he is with Cincinnati on him, and they're using this, and they're collecting lots of money for the use of his image. How much does Oscar get? Zero. He has finally had enough. He has joined a group of players who have been suing the NCAA and EA Sports for a couple of years. Oscar is now the lead plaintiff in the case. It puts it into a whole new realm because here we have one of the all-time greats, a guy who averaged a triple-double one year in the NBA, and he is saying... The NCAA owes me money, and it's a lot of money. This is going to be really interesting now that he's in the case.
1: Lester, I've known uh, Oscar Robertson for almost 40 years, and there is one thing about his personality I will tell you about. He's the sweetest guy in the world. But if Oscar Robertson feels like he's being taken advantage of, he is a pit bull with a capital P.
0: Well, uh, the lawyers are going to be happy to have him in there. Um, He is the kind of guy, when he walks into the courtroom in front of a jury, it changes everything. Um, All they need to win this case is some jurors who are 60 years old or older, and they're going to do whatever the big O wants. And I don't think there's any doubt about it. The NCAA does nothing for these guys. The least they could do is pay them something for the achievements that the NCAA now claims it owns, and they are exploiting for their own profits.
1: So... If Oscar Robertson's being used, uh, how badly is uh, the late Pete Maravich being used? How badly is uh, uh, Lew Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, being used? I mean, we have a whole collection of athletes. I mean, we could go on and on with athletes who've had their intellectual property used for, uh, for decades and have never seen a dime.
0: There are generations. There are hundreds of uh, athletes who would be eligible for this money. If the NCAA cannot figure out a way to settle this, it could be a blockbuster, Uh, of a judgment against them once the case finally reaches trial. Right now, it's up in a high court in California. They're going through some technical legal stuff. But at some point, this case is coming back to the courthouse for a trial, and it's going to be interesting.
1: With all the dumb things the NCAA does, and it leads the nation in dumb things, how does the NCAA survive?
0: You know, you wonder about that. Um, Whenever they are sued in one of these cases, they take these righteous positions that make absolutely no sense. We are not a monopoly. They say this again and again. Uh Obviously, they're a monopoly. They have total control over college football, college basketball, numerous other sports. They go to court, and they make this claim, and they lose time and again, and the same people are working there, and every year they get an increase in their pay.
1: Hey, my friend, uh, David Stern, telling anybody who will listen that uh, he has a number, a number of uh, franchises within the structure of his league right now that are losing money. Uh, How hard does that make you laugh?
0: I I don't believe those numbers for a second. Uh, Every one of these owners has accountants who are able to do the magic of accounting to show a loss. they don't have two sets of books. They probably have five sets of books. And if they, if you want to show a loss during a year when you're bargaining with the union, then each team will show a loss. We went all through this with the National Hockey League during the lockout in 2004 and 2005. The Pittsburgh team was claiming to be in bankruptcy. It's only because they were paying a lot of rent to the owner. I mean, that's how they managed to mm-hmm. work their way into insolvency. So you, you don't want to listen to any... Anything from an owner involving accounting.
1: That's why I've always maintained, Luster, that uh, the National Football League uh, Players Association talking about open up the books. Why open up the books? The books have been manipulated. What are you going to find out?
0: Yeah, you you don't find out very much. When they were in court up in Minneapolis... uh, In the early 90s, the NFL brought in all these financial records, filled up a small room full of these things. The only interesting thing was you could go through there and you could find out the salary, for example, that Michael McCaskey paid himself on the Bears. You could get that kind of information, little bits of gossip.
1: Which at that time I believe was around $500,000.
0: I believe it was, and of course he was earning every penny of it.
1: Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) $500,000 to go to your room. (laughs) Right. Right. why isn't Roger Goodell, and I'm reminded of uh, the genius of Pete Rozelle and to a lesser extent, that of Paul Tagliabue, I, I don't think Goodell right now is doing the greatest job of posturing when it comes to the uh, uh, legal imbroglio involving uh, the NFL and the NFLPA.
0: He, he's trying everything and none of it seems to work. He, he wrote this op-ed piece for today that it makes a nice statement, but what is he doing writing an op-ed piece? He ought to be bargaining with the players and trying to avoid a disaster here. Instead, he's spending all of his time trying to explain that the owners are not making enough money. He claims that they're doing this for the fans, and the one thing the fans want is games. And it's just, he's got a. He has a certain amount of personal charm, but he's got a fairly untenable position here, and it's beginning to show in his attempts at posturing this as him being the good guy.
1: Do you think there's any possibility that the NFLPA could wind up agreeing to an 18-game regular season schedule, then wind up with a fractured union because of X number of players who are vehemently opposed to an 18-game schedule? An 18-game schedule, to me, says more post-concussion syndrome.
0: There's no question about it. All sorts of injuries, knee injuries, head injuries. uh, There's no doubt about it. And why the players would ever agree to an 18-game schedule, I don't know. If the leadership of the union somehow tried to cram that down the throats of the players, I think there might be a a breakdown. Whatever solidarity they have could easily disappear over that issue. Not not the 18-game schedule, plus they're, gonna, they're supposed to give away some of the money they've earned over the years. I, I don't know why the players would agree to any of that.
1: By the way, speaking of uh, the NFL and the draft, there is no collective bargaining agreement. If you're a freshman at Ohio State, aren't you eligible to be drafted?
0: Absolutely are. As, as soon as the agreement expires on March 3, then it's wide open. They are planning to conduct the draft, even though... There's no contractual or legal foundation for the draft, and if you're a freshman or a sophomore, the three-year rule that goes out the window with the entire agreement on March three. So every college player is now eligible for the draft. If if I were a freshman at Ohio State and I thought I could play in the NFL, he should show up for the combine uh, now in a couple of weeks and work out and show what he can do.
1: He is Lester Munson. The best in the business. I'm Chet Kafka. This has been, of course, Sports Court brought to you by my great friends at American Taxi. Chicago's number one, put that in bold type, suburban taxi service. We'll catch you next week with more from inside the Smokeville Rooms. Take care, everybody.